influence on these three lives. Welcome, listeners, to the 61st chapter of the QAnon Anonymous podcast, the Boris Banana Bonanza episode. As always, we are your hosts, Annie Kelly, Julian Field, Jake Rokitansky, and Travis View. Over in the United Kingdom, they've been doing a little thing called Brexit. Now, one of the coolest features of Brexit, which stands for Brian Exit, is that nobody <laughs> understands it, even those supposedly tending shop. But that, of course, does not stop figureheads from getting fired, which is exactly what happened to former Prime Minister Theresa May on July 24th of 2019. She was replaced by a mix of Uncle Fester, a rugby bully, and a spoiled Aryan child. The man's name is Bojo. Bojo, which stands for Bojack Johnson, is widely considered to be Britain's peroxidated answer to Donald Trump, a corrupt dumbass who coasted on a broken system and was crowned leader of one of the most vapid and dangerous countries in the world. But who will the podcast blame for this massive failure? Well, we scratched our heads. Jake offered to do a Sean Connery impression for an entire episode, so we tied him to a chair and belted his toes. And uh, then we remembered someone who does an excellent British accent. It's bang on. And she also happens to be our official UK correspondent. That's right, folks. It's Annie Kelly, your favorite PhD writer covering anti-feminists and the far right. And today she's got full control of the fleet and she will not let the sun set on our empire until we've properly covered Bojo's Bizarre Adventure. Uh, Welcome, Annie. Oh, thanks for having me on, guys. Well, I mean, technically you're running the ship and we're just along for the ride. <laughs> That's right. You should be thanking me. Yes. yes thank, thank you, you, Annie, for having us on. <laughs> yeah. Thanks for having us. <laughs> I've got, I, I brought some um, organic frosted uh, pumpkin flavored pastries to just open and eat and enjoy while we listen <laughs> to your those? brilliance. Pop-Tarts? Well, it's kind of the off-brand, you know. Oh my God. Those are <laughs> off-brand Pop-Tarts. Hey man, come on. You know, I just... I didn't know they packaged depression. I didn't want to insult our Patreon members by coming in here with, with actual Kellogg's branded Pop-Tarts. Yes, but please make sure that you hold that package constantly and fiddle with it while we record so that... <laughs> They can hear every fucking crinkle, you absolute incompetent. But before all that, QAnon news. All right. Main story is 8chan rebrands to 8kun. So <laughs> isn't it like, isn't it like 8kun? 8kun. 8kun. I don't know. I think it's a Japanese eight thing. Kun, yeah. Who comes up with this shit? I don't know. Uh, to a pig farmer and his uh, red-pilled son. <laughs> but that doesn't even sound like a pig farmer's son idea. Like Because they're all kun. like super online, like fucking weebs, dude. That's what they do is they hang out all day uh, with anime Nazis and then they come up with shit like this. Okay. All right. Makes sense. So as part of the uh, continuing effort to relaunch 8chan, uh, the website got a new name and a new URL. Uh, in a video posted on 8chan's Twitter account, uh, the site owners announced uh, the new name is 8kun. That's the number 8, K-U-N. Uh, and the new URL is uh, 8kun.net, though the site is not live yet. So, but that video they had with like the kind of like there was yeah. like a stormy weather and then right. the, the burning shape of the 8. Of the snake. And 100%, not joking, there's a Q hidden at the bottom. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. They yeah. hid a Q. Wait, are they they're doing trailers for the new 8chan? Yes. <laughs> yes. And, yes. And I have to admit, 
Yeah, dramatic announcement. It, it is a pretty badass cool. trailer. Yeah, I yeah. got to admit, the, <laughs> they the hired someone talented. Off. It was pretty slick. Yeah, 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 yeah. Very slick. It's a, it's the don't tread on me snake that forms the infinity, and then in the tail of the snake is a clear, clear a cue. So sounds quite conceptually messy. Yeah, yeah. it's yeah. I mean, graphic design wise, look. I mean, it's a little bit. It's a little first drafty. <laughs> it's like they paid some guy who's like a Michael Bay fan on Fiverr to use his AutoCAD yeah. for internet like Nazi forum. Like it's pretty high tech. Like What's to be that? honest, like it's amazing. You know what? We're proud of them. <laughs> we wish we wish them the best. <laughs> uh, the creator of Eight Chan, uh, Frederick Brennan, who happens to be a friend and patron of the show, has been doing really noble work trying to prevent uh, Eight Eight Kuhn from going up. Uh, for example, by observing uh, crafted network requests, he he pieced together a map of Eight Kuhn's network. And that has allowed him to identify the third-party service providers that it can, uh, re- will rely on to stay up. So, uh, Frederick, thank you so much for staying on top of that and being a thorn in the side of uh, 8chan owner Jim Watkins. So, uh, Frederick has offered uh, his speculations about what uh, 8kun means for Q in an interview with Vice News. I expect one of his first drops on 8kun will be to post a key so that Q can use other platforms in the future. That's why, if you ask me, it's so crucial that 8kun never be allowed to fully come online. If it does, QAnon can spread. Without it, QAnon is essentially dead. Mm. Damn, dude. Sounds like he's talking about like a monster in a monster movie or something. Yeah, this yeah. is like, like the if you that- remove the head of this giant infinity like self-suck snake. Yeah, this is like the scene in the trailer with like the Metal Gear theme in the background. And he's like, he's like, it can never be allowed to fully come online. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, around the same time that uh, the uh, eight coon announcement was made, a site owner, Jim Watkins, uploaded a YouTube video and man, it is really weird. Um, so here's how. I mean, come on, the guy. Yeah, the, the guy is basically like made of wax. Like he's. A, <laughs> I'm pretty sure you just put a wick in him and he lasts like a few days and smells awful. So I, I want to play a clip of like how the video started. And when you listen to this, keep in mind that this is the man who is working to relaunch an unprofitable image board that is most famous for its popularity with pedophiles, neo-Nazis and QAnon. Hi, guys. I'm Jim. Welcome to my YouTube channel. And don't forget to follow me and click that like button. Don't worry, the like button's more scared of you than you're scared of it. Oh my God, he's doing like bad gay guy stand-up shit from the 80s. He's pretending to be a YouTube influencer. Yeah. Yeah. This is awful. This is a stupid world. <laughs> so uh, Jim Watkins has uh, testified to the um, House of Representatives recently. And in that video, he seems to accuse uh, members of the House of being um, in the thrall of some unnamed outside money. Mm. Well, OK, so blaming the Jews. <laughs> uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> the obvious insertion of a gigantic amount of capital into our nation's capital and I use the adjective gigantic literally, as I had to imagine and realize what it would take myself to step on my integrity in such a brutal, practical way as the house seems to have done en masse lately. How much money would it take you to step all over your ethics and sell out your entire country? For the majority of Americans, that number is higher 
than anyone would be willing to pay, it takes a special weasel to take that money and sell out his fellow Americans. I love this new trend, though, that he's setting of, you know, pulling over on the freeway, getting out and then recording a YouTube video. How does he manage to do the old person Skype angle? Like, (laughs) like, can't you have someone hold a camera or something? Can't you find a place that's not literally outdoors with wind to do your special announcement about your very important website? He recorded this in Santa Monica. What? Yeah. He's, he's hanging out? He's hanging Let's out. get him Nearby. on the show, yeah. <laughs> as Jake would say. So with gusto, and I would shut down immediately. We'd love to have him. <laughs> no. Jim, no, if you're listening, no. <laughs> he then tells a uh, clear, clearly made up story about hearing politicians uh, wanting to repeal the First and Second Amendment. Any excuse is all they need to bring about the loss of your personal freedoms. I heard even one of these silly politicians calling for repealing the First and Second Amendment of the Bill of Rights. Now, in case you're not aware of it, we would have to dissolve our individual union in order for that to happen. Oh, this man, he's unstable at best. Yeah, this is the the effort level of that uh, high school science fair volcano, but except (laughs) it like creates Nazis who shoot schools. (laughs) Amazing. That's not funny. So this is how Watkins ends the video. What do you do when you're angry? Sit there silently until you blow your top? No. Speak out. Get it off your chest. And don't forget to follow my YouTube channel. Oh. See you next time. This guy has clearly had a a shot of adrenochrome. He looks (laughs) a little bit younger. A little bit less sweaty, more filled with life, knowing that his Nazi board is is about to be reborn. God, he looks like an overfilled red balloon, like just about to accidentally pop in the face of the child who who's blowing them for the first time. The, the, oh, the way it is like the balloon, of, not the balloon. I'm not. God damn it, that sounded bad. What? <laughs> Come on, Travis. Listen. A balloon. I said I set it up with a balloon. I did not. <laughs> God damn it. <laughs> Fuck. <laughs> no, uh, whatever. I'm I'm done. <laughs> UK Prime Minister Boris Johnson. Hi there, friends. It's your pal Annie here. I've been away on a mountaintop, communing with the old gods, trying to see if there's a way I can solve Brexit once and for all. The results were inconclusive, and honestly, some of what they said just kind of weirded me out. We have so many reasons to be confident about our country and its direction, and yet. I feel sometimes we're like a world-class athlete with a pebble in our shoe. There is one part of the British system that seems to be on the blink. If Parliament were a laptop, then the screen would be showing, I'm afraid, the pizza wheel of doom. (laughs) If Parliament... If Parliament were a school... If Parliament were a school, Ofsted would be shutting it down or putting it in special measures. If Parliament were a reality TV show, then the whole lot of us, I'm afraid, would have been voted out of the jungle by now. But at least... But at least... We'd have had the consolation of watching the speaker being forced to eat a kangaroo testicle. 
So conservative uh, Brits are a very good audience because they think this is very, very funny. They're lo- <laughs> they're just dying in the audience, fucking laughing. Well, British people are just a little bit more clever than we are. I mean, even their, <laughs> even their version of Donald Trump like managed yeah. to get a few fucking zingers in there. Oh, oh no, he, he, yeah, he, he yeah. blows Trump out of the water. He proves that the UK has to be lied to in an incredibly corrupt way, but... But it, with a little more intelligence, yeah. goddamn. But, but you know what? He also kind of looks like a princess bride character. <laughs> like, I could easily see. I could easily see him like uh, you know, like replacing Andre the Giant and like yeah. being Wally Shawn's kind of uh, yeah. We you can know, start oafish, a conspiracy theory. Oafish sort of uh, sidekick. Andre the Giant never died. He just they bleached he's, his hair and he's he, now the prime minister of the United, in the United Kingdom. That's not a bad one. We could start it on TikTok. <laughs> Here on QAnon Anonymous, we tend to cover the weird and wonderful conspiracy theories being cooked up by the far right. Q himself hasn't made quite such an impact over here in the British Isles, possibly because it's just too far-fetched to think of this country being governed over by a ruling class of elite millionaire (laughs) paedophiles. On an unrelated note, I was watching the Conservative Party conference last week, and it occurred to me that our listeners might be interested in exactly what the hell is going on in the UK. Why are our government officials sounding increasingly like the hammed-up fascist allegories in a science fiction movie? As Home Secretary, at this defining moment in our country's history, I have a particular responsibility when it comes to taking back control. It is to end the free movement of people once and for all. They're not even (laughs) hiding it anymore. (laughs) From now on, people will stay in one place forever. They will no longer move. We will glue them to the floor. I will personally carpet bomb the Silk Road. My favorite is that we're at the point in fascism where it's like, again, it's intersectional fascism. You can have a, a woman of color right. up there being like, <laughs> You're right. fuck immigrants. Yeah, right. <laughs> Having ending freedom be an applause line. All right. <laughs> <laughs> to end freedom once and for all. <laughs> Don't we love our big brother? Don't we love him? Also, when did they get so weirdly anti-Semitic? Just a few days ago, leader of the House of Commons and cartoon character Jacob Rees-Mogg invoked the far-right conspiracist version of the boogeyman, Jewish billionaire George Soros, as a driving force behind anti-Brexit sentiment in the UK, known colloquially in this country as the Ramonas. May I remind her that one of the major funders, allegedly, of the Remain campaign, the sort of Ramona funder-in-chief, is one George Soros, who made a billion pounds when sterling crashed out of the exchange rate mechanism. (laughs) Are you guys familiar with Jacob Rees-Mogg at all? Not at all. Oh, he's utterly bizarre. He's like the the Toryist story you can imagine, basically. He's like Mm. got seven children and they're all, they've all got like Latin names, like Septimus and things like that. Oh Um, my God. Oh my God. They're all raised by the nanny that raised him um, as a young boy. And she comes on like holidays with them and stuff like that. And he calls her nanny. Yeah, she's oh, she's yes. 100% a ghost. She died <laughs> at some point while raising him and the ghost continued to raise him and now the ghost is raising the children. My my children are raised by the ghost of Eva Brown. Yes, this is my firstborn Sisyphus. <laughs> raised by the dark spirit Nana. <laughs> No, this guy's amazing, though. I mean, he yeah. looks like a he looks like a Harry Potter. Uh, he looks like villain. Bill Nye the Science Guy went yeah. terribly wrong. Yeah, I mean, every time I see him, I'm just like, this is what the Americans think we all are. 
Like this <laughs> yeah. guy here. It's true. It's true. It's true. Then Preeti Patel, our home secretary, specifically singled out in her conference speech a particular area of London known for its high Jewish population. This daughter of immigrants needs no lectures from the North London metropolitan liberal elite. Mm. Yeah. And in North London is where the, the Jews are lived. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's like pretty much what it's famous for. It's kind of, there's oh. just like no other way you can particularly take that. Oh, <laughs> God damn it, man. Yeah. We live in just pure fucking hell. Is there a, is there a large <laughs> Jewish population in, in the UK? Yeah, I mean, they're pretty much, they're pretty much always has been since the Middle Ages, although in the Middle Ages, they, that's when they have lots of pogroms and kill them all. Right, um, right, right. Yeah, that's <laughs> so my, my um, family escaped uh, from pogroms. That was the whole the whole deal. Yeah, yeah. The, uh, the Jewish blood libel really kicked off in the UK. <laughs> yeah, you guys got it going <laughs> yeah. on. Yeah, with, uh, no, actually, right where I live in guys. Norwich, uh, we still have a patron saint of Norwich who is uh, William of Norwich, I think. That's um, right. Who is, yeah, that's he's right. one of the most famous blood libel uh, mm. cases. And it kind of turns out like that basically what actually happened was he probably got drunk and got in a fight. And then they kind of just added this whole sort of like martyred, martyred for being a Christian stuff later. Um, right. It's like the whole Tommy Robinson shit where he goes around picking fights and then there's like, people are fighting me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it feels a bit like the conservative government is spinning wildly out of control, hemorrhaging supporters, torn in two by a ruinous Brexit referendum. And their response has just been to flail around and try to point out the internal enemies that are somehow more responsible for Brexit not being an immediate success than the Conservatives themselves, who've been in power for the last nine years. But they're still somehow lurching forward, relentlessly keeping hold of power, backs borne against the tide, leaving the entire country wondering if this is all some kind of stress test for the very concept of the rich failing upward. Welcome, everyone, to the Boris Banana Bonanza. It's absurd. We are told that you cannot have, but you cannot sell bananas in bunches of more than two or three bananas. You cannot, you cannot sell yes. bananas with abnormal curvature of the fingers. What? Welcome to British politics, guys. <laughs> Wait a minute. Hold on. Hold on. He's doing that Jacob Wall thing of like, you can't do this. You can't do that. Like saying that the European Union will not let people sell bananas in bunches. Is that correct, Annie? Yeah. It was. That is correct. Or if they're overly bendy or overly curved. I mean, it's 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 incorrect. That's, it's that's incorrect. the whole thing. But that's the, the rumor. The charge. He's no bunches <laughs> of two or more bananas. Wait a, wait a tick. What's wrong with that? I mean, I hate going. I hate it when my girlfriend sends me to Trader Joe's. And she's like, hey, get me some bananas. She's like, but I only want two. And I'm like, well. I'd like this straight kind. I'm like, they come, but they come in like a bunch of like four or five. And she's like, you can rip them off. I'm like, but can you? In the middle of the store, ripping bananas in the bunches? I, I didn't think that that was a thing. I To me, a bunches of two, two, three bananas is fine. So we have a Boris Johnson over here? What's the problem? Okay. So <laughs> no, take. I'm anti-Bojo. I'm saying... But you're saying the I'm, same thing I'm as him. Calling, I'm calling for bunches yeah. of two bananas only. <laughs> oh, you want the bunches to be pre-cut. I want the bunches to be pre-cut. So that, that way I don't have to feel bad because what if it's a, what if I make a bad tear? What if I accidentally open the skin of a banana that I'm tearing away from and I ruin it from somebody else? It's a waste of produce. Uh, so this is a psychological technique Jake is using called mirroring. So he's mirroring the stupidity of Brexit on purpose. What? Okay, this is a deeper 4D <laughs> chess move. <laughs> All right. 
I think one of my favorite ever onion headlines, because it's just like one that comes to my head so many times, is every time I'm in the supermarket, I just think of the onion headline, which is like, two bananas will probably be enough, thinks world's loneliest man. (laughs) (laughs) Boris Johnson, our newest prime minister, has been a favorite of British media for many years. He's carefully cultivated the bumbling toff persona that seems to be a favourite of our broadcasters. Alexander Boris de Feffel Johnson, though, his actual full name, is quintessentially posh, raised by two independently wealthy parents who hated each other, educated at the elite private boys' school Eton, and then going on to obtain an unremarkable class of degree from Oxford University. If you wondered what kind of sickness this country suffers from when it comes to class and politics, it's actually more unusual to be a prime minister who hasn't been educated at those places than who has. After university, Johnson seemed as if he might have an illustrious career as what has been popularly termed a fail son, securing work for a management consultancy before resigning after only a week. After this, he began working at the newspaper The Times, but was fired after being caught fabricating a quote from a historian for a front-page story about an archaeological discovery. (laughs) (laughs) What a dumb thing to get caught for. (laughs) God damn it, man. Yeah, the weirdest part was that he was actually related to the historian, if I'm remembering correctly. Like, it was his godfather or something. So I guess he, like, thought he could just, like do it and because he like is close to the guy or the guy knows him he wouldn't be like that's wrong i didn't say that but he did but he did yeah i mean because he got sold out by his own family well, because it was a really embarrassing lie because he said something like it was about a discovery of some old king's palace maybe king george or something like that something about like it would have been where he would have been the king would have uh, gone with his lover because that's a bit of a salacious story or something except the lover had actually died 15 years before the palace was built <laughs> So, like, you, you can't be a historian and, like, have your name on the record, like, saying that, you know? No. Um, mm-hmm. But I'm just glad that that's front page news in the UK. <laughs> <laughs> we do love our king's palaces. Luckily, you don't go to Eton and Oxford without meeting a few important people. And so Johnson began writing for the high Tory paper of record, the Daily Telegraph, instead. Here, he became the newspaper's EU correspondent, based in Brussels for five years. Not to be deterred by previous embarrassments, he continued polishing his flair for what is known in the industry as making any old shit up, but this time in a more political vein. Johnson essentially tapped into the market of gullible wealthy pensioners with a mistrust for anything foreign, and basically seemed to create a challenge for himself with regard to exactly what was the most ridiculous story he could make them believe. Some stories from Johnson's time in this stint included that the EU were going to outlaw prawn cocktail crisps, regulate coffin sizes to one standard shape, as well as ban standard English sausages for not containing enough meat. I did actually find a rumour going round that the EU had proposed to call them emulsified high-fat offal tubes instead, but as far as I could tell, that one didn't actually originate with Johnson. It also seemed to be during this time that Johnson acquired his obsession with bananas, saying that the EU were planning to establish a banana police force which would check the fruit to see if it was the correct shape. As Martin Fletcher, a former Brussels correspondent for The Times, puts it, He seized every chance to mock or denigrate the EU, filing stories that were undoubtedly colourful, but also grotesquely exaggerated or completely untrue. (laughs) The Telegraph (laughs) loved it, so did the Tory right. Johnson later confessed, 
Everything I wrote from Brussels, I found, was sort of chucking these rocks over a garden wall, and I listened to this amazing crash from the greenhouse next door over in England, as everything I wrote from Brussels was having this amazing explosive effect on the Tory party. It really gave me this, I suppose, rather weird sense of power. All of this, I should make clear, was in the late 80s and early 90s, long before fake news became a phrase, and all of it was published in a national broadsheet to great success. It largely feels, looking back at all these stories, as if the entirety of a certain generation of Telegraph reader was a victim of some kind of large-scale Nigerian print scam. Except they were buying stories to make them all burst a blood vessel about how stupid and wasteful the EU is instead, which sort of seems like a less wise investment. It seems pretty wild, given just how much mess this ended up getting us into, that nobody thought to sound the alarm. But sifting through the narratives from people who knew him at the time, it seems clear that Johnson had already perfected the art of getting away with pretty much anything by not being taken seriously. As one Guardian piece puts it, Many in Brussels found Johnson funny. One British official spoke of a hilarious exchange between Johnson and the Agriculture Commissioner's spokesman about how bent a banana had to be. (laughs) 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 Another said, He was great company, he was great fun but I used to be very angry with the way he just wanted to ridicule the institution and was clearly misleading people. Nobody imagined where Johnson's annoying stories would lead, said one of the British officials. He was more seen as a colourful buffoon figure, uh, but we didn't realise it was going to set the tone of the British debate. (laughs) He really is like Trump. You know know what the banana thing is? It's exactly like the the straw bands thing here in the the US. Like occasionally you'll have like some town or whatever decide to ban plastic straws when businesses and then and then. Trump sells Trump branded straws and every conservative pundit says drinks from a straw and says triggered yet lib, you know? Yeah. yeah. When people are literally just just trying to like, like save well, the planet. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's actually a good idea. I should maybe like get a grift on where I can like, I don't know, dance around with bananas and be like triggered yet yeah. EU. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Like like a b- bent bent uh, straight <laughs> looking bananas oh, it is bunches of five yeah, bunches of five, five triggered six. brussels we're going crazy triggered much brussels <laughs> triggered you belgian ponce <laughs> i still think there's something more to it though because it's not as if these ridiculous stories about the eu's bureaucratic extravagances were made popular just by the power of boris johnson's charisma alone The official term given to these kinds of lies, exaggerations or distortions for EU policies is a Euro myth, and Johnson isn't credited with inventing them, even if he did make a good living off them for a good few years. I've met people who still repeat that EU banning bendy bananas story today, despite the various attempts to debunk it, including the EU even having a webpage for a while assuring the public that any shape of banana was fine with them. But these stories tend to stick. I think that the reason for that is because they've just been so useful for the people who are actually in power in this country. Euro myths, which imply that the EU is just a waste of money, and the reason there's so much red tape and everything costs so much more now, were brilliant for Tories, and actually even the Labour government. The EU is the perfect scapegoat because it's this far-off institution that nobody really understood, and most of the actual work it did was intricate, dense and boring. And you can hardly blame people when the news they're getting about the EU is cartoon fantasy policy made up by people like Johnson, while their lives are getting immeasurably worse and being told that there's not enough money for this library or that hospital to start to grow resentful of this institution that they see as being at the heart of that waste. It's amazing because essentially what they did was they saw an opportunity to make the EU um, 
and this kind of like yearly meeting and all this stuff seem like the Jewish meeting in the uh, protocols of Zion. They were like, yeah, there's a, like a shadowy cabal meeting every year to decide your fate. Uh, and they were just like, what if we kind of did a little anti-Semitism in their direction? My question is, what 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 is the point of doing Brexit? Like, what do they get out of it? Is it just privatizing stuff? Is it selling it abroad? Like, what what where's the money? Like, what's the yeah? What, what's the financial gain here in in promoting this stuff other than just the attention and the careers? Uh, well, I mean, the EU is basically at the heart of pretty much all of our employment regulations, for one thing. Um, so it would pretty much um. do away um, with a lot of worker protections that we're afforded. Um, so that's why half of the Tories hate the EU so much. Um, mm. And also, yeah, they, you know, they're kind of seen as that sort of like she-she liberal Europe-minded thing. So they, you know, they do lots of kind of grants for, um, I don't know, you know, kind of uh, disability grants and kind of, you know, uh, for minorities and that sort of thing. So that's why the other half of them hate it. Copy that. It's certainly true, though, that Boris cultivated an image of himself because he knew that being underestimated as a sort of harmless eccentric let him get away with more. But I also think that now he's in power, the media are purposefully avoiding that nagging question of how much they helped. Even when Johnson was a journalist, he regularly appeared on the popular political comedy panel show Have I Got News For You, where he would play up this bumbling persona while becoming something of a celebrity. Boris claimed that he was dropped off Radio 4 recently because his accent wasn't correct for the new plebby BBC. Oh, that's no, quite no, right. No, well no, done, no, yes. No, 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 no. <laughs> and I have always suspected that to be a complete load of old rubbish. No, they just it, dropped off the programme because the programme moved on. No, actually, it is true that that was, that was the stated reason. And I thought it was quite a um, funny point. Uh, Boris Johnson was sacked by the BBC for being too posh, although he recently told The Guardian, a voice can be changed, we plummy-voiced brayers can adapt. <laughs> so how's it coming on, this adaptation? <laughs> well, I haven't, I'm making progress. I'm right. <laughs> so yes, it's true that Boris gets away with continually lying because he styled himself like a cartoon character. But this wasn't something he did by himself. He was helped every step of the way, so that by the time he did run for Parliament in 2001, he had become enough of a public persona to win a comfortable majority, and then become a shadow cabinet member just two years later. Being a celebrity politician isn't always everything it's cracked up to be though, and in 2004 the story broke that Johnson had been having an affair with another columnist called, brace yourselves, Petronella Wyatt. <laughs> another another Princess Bride character. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, it really so it sounds like a character in Harry Potter, right? Yeah. Johnson initially denied the allegations until they were proven with more evidence provided by Wyatt's own mother. He was asked to resign by Michael Howard, the then Conservative Party leader. Johnson refused and so was fired instead. It wouldn't, by a long shot, be Johnson's last political scandal. After becoming mayor of London in 2008, Accusations of corruption and cronyism continued to mysteriously crop up. First, his friend Conservative MP Damien Green was arrested under suspicion of political misconduct. Boris made the incredible move of declaring in public that he had spoken with Green, an alleged criminal suspect, and then proceeded to announce that he had seen evidence and didn't think it would reach courts. This coming from the mayor had the potential to prejudice the ongoing investigation. The case was later dropped. Johnson was also accused by his predecessor Ken Livingston of using his position as mayor to buy good press, appointing a former editor of the newspaper The Evening Standard to a well-paid Arts Council position. 
There was then a disastrous interview on the BBC in which he implied that the wage he earned for being Mayor of London wasn't enough to get by on. Now the leader of your party, the Conservative Party, David Cameron, is trying to, trying to take a grip, at least as far as he can on his own party. He's told his shadow cabinet that they must abandon all their outside activities, their second jobs, by the end of the year. Now you are the Mayor of London. I checked this morning. I believe your salary is just short of £140,000. You have a massive job. You've just told me how dizzyingly exciting and challenging it is. Uh, and yet, you have a contract yeah, I do. with a I, national newspaper yeah. worth £250,000 a year. Chicken fee, yeah, okay. Chicken right. fee. Now, listen, let's be, let's be um, you know, Do you I'm think most frivolous. people in London would regard it as chicken no. fee, particularly at a time of, of economic is, recession, yeah, that you're earning £250,000 on the side as a newspaper? Well, I don't, I don't uh, presume to ask what you earn uh, from the taxpayer. Oh my God, wow. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, this was right after the 2008 crash. Like, lots of people had literally just lost their jobs when this happened. He really shows his colors, though. The way his face kind of turned, he waves his hand at chicken feet. Like, you can really see the fucking, like, spoiled, like, wealthy. Mm. Oh, yeah. But uh, just to see uh, a journalist press a politician like that yeah. is uh, you refreshing. Love, you love to see it. Yeah. Also, I like that uh, the British version of Peanuts is chicken feed. <laughs> <laughs> but it's so funny, too, how the interviewer immediately gets pissed off the moment. Like, his demeanor completely changes. He's like, sir, excuse me. Like, he, he, immediate, he immediately is like, what the fuck are you talking about? Like, I first just, I basically, we're talking about 300, almost four hundred thousand dollars if he's doing 140k to get to be the mayor and then he's got a 250k contract and they're pounds baby so and that's like pounds. half a million dollars yes yeah, so that's like half a million and this guy's like chicken feed <laughs> yeah i mean I, one on. thing i i will say uh for our press which i i hold in quite a low regard as you can probably tell um is that i do really like that old british style of interviewing where they're just like unbelievably hostile from the like second <laughs> yeah. and yeah. it's yeah. always like really gratifying especially seeing like american public figures come to the uk and get interviewed by one of those kind of old school sort of just like antagonistic journalists because you can tell they're re like really upset they're like does this person have a problem with me and it's like probably not you know you're all in the same kind of like media class um but that's just how we do it here we just like i don't know we have just like a kind of need for blood when we watch politicians and like political figures get interviewed and stuff like that. Uh, like that Jordan Peterson interview, I don't know if you saw, where, yeah, everyone's kind of like, oh, you know, they, they thought that the interviewer was like a feminist and was personally angry at Jordan Peterson, but she wasn't. That's just how they do interviews. You know, they just try and rip you apart on anything. Yeah, they've migrated the style a little bit over here with a guy named... Um Piers Morgan, oh. uh, <laughs> but he's oh, usually no. the one getting grilled. Oh, <laughs> he's God. usually the one by the end of the interview going, how dare you, ha, ha, how dare you, sir? Ha, <laughs> how dare you accuse me? Despite this, alongside an expenses scandal, accusations that he had had another extramarital affair, which this time resulted in a love child, and reports that his wife had kicked him out of his family home, Johnson largely continued to receive positive coverage from the media, who, with the honourable exception of The Guardian, frequently didn't even bother fact-checking some of his more outrageous lies about what his administration were up to. Part of this was because most of the people working at these newspapers were friends with Boris, who'd after all been a journalist for his entire working career. And Boris, to his credit, reciprocated. 
So, when Rupert Murdoch and his company News International were implicated in a vast phone hacking scandal, with their reporters even having hacked the phone of a missing child, Johnson publicly attacked the allegations as codswallop. (laughs) (laughs) It was later revealed that News International were offering him £2 million worth of sponsorships at the time, which I'm sure had nothing to do with it. If there has been any kind of silver lining to the Brexit referendum permanently breaking the brains of every single person over the age of 45 in this country, it was probably getting to see Boris Johnson look like he might genuinely be sick on camera. I'm not sure how well known this is outside of the UK, but the Leave campaign, which was headed by Johnson, didn't actually expect to win. And it's not really clear how much they wanted to win. Certainly not Boris, who despite making a living off of mocking the EU for a while, had historically disavowed the idea of the UK actually leaving, until he realised there might be a benefit to playing the other side. The Vote Leave campaign had been designed to gain a decent but losing share of the vote, placate those rebel MPs in the Tory party who genuinely hated the EU for the next 20 or so years, and set Boris up to be the next Conservative Party leader after Cameron. It was all a bit awkward when Leave actually won, and the main Leave campaigners had to admit they hadn't actually planned for this eventuality. Worse still, those misleading statistics and outright lies that they'd used to persuade people were suddenly gaining a lot more scrutiny. Let's deal with your arguments. One of them is on the side of this bus. We sent 350 million to Europe. We don't, and you know we don't. No, we don't. You know we don't. Admit that that figure is grotesquely misleading at best. I won't, I won't, I won't. The true figure is 161 million, correct? Uh, no, the true figure is 350 million. In net terms, the, true, the real figure is 161. If you take out the abatement and the, okay. and the money that comes back, the UK money that comes back via Brussels, okay. the figure is and obviously you... lower. Boris, who had before been on what looked like an unstoppable trajectory towards leadership, was forced to do the political equivalent of that gif of Homer Simpson disappearing into a hedge while the Prime Minister resigned and the Tory party crumbled around him. This is probably where I come closest to feeling empathy for Boris. Because who hasn't at one point in their lives fucked everything up and just wanted to disappear for a little while? While few of us can say we fucked an entire country up, it's still admittedly very relatable. Johnson didn't, as was expected, put himself in the running for the Conservative leadership, leaving that dubious honour to Theresa May. This worked about as well as you could expect, given May belonged to that class of Conservative with exactly the same degree of moral fibre as Johnson, but absolutely none of the mannerisms that might lead a person to recognise them as a fellow member of the human species. <laughs> What's the naughtiest thing you ever did? Oh, goodness me. Um, I, well, I suppose the... Uh, gosh, I, do you know, I'm not quite sure. Well, there must well, have been a moment. Nobody is, nobody's ever perfectly behaved, <laughs> are they? I mean, you know, I have to confess, when me and my friends sort of used to run through the fields of wheat... Um, The farmers weren't too pleased about that. Despite May's best attempts over the next few years to possibly try and create a Brexit deal that would make literally anyone at all happy, she failed miserably and was finally forced to resign earlier this year. The Tory leadership contest that ensued afterwards felt like it took a really long time, but that might just be because about 20 people signed up for it and most of them looked and talked exactly the same as one another. Although I should make at least an honourable exception for sensible centrist hero Rory Stewart on this one, who former guest of the show Matt Chrisman once described as looking like Willem Dafoe lit directly into the Chernobyl reactor. (laughs) (laughs) 
Boris was largely the only one people could pick out of the lineup, and so in July he ascended to the highest electable office in the country, while not actually having been elected. I imagine it felt like a little bit of a poison chalice though, particularly for a man whose biographers make a big point of mentioning that he used to say he wanted to be king of the world as a child. Because what a mess to inherit! And Boris wasted no time turning a very large mess into a colossal one. The official deadline for Brexit, October 31st, was looming, and Parliament had already shown with Theresa May they were more than willing just to vote down any Brexit deal whatsoever for a laugh. More seriously though, it was deeply unlikely Johnson would muster the votes to be able to force through a no-deal Brexit, which I've affectionately come to call the Mad Max option. To be clear, nobody in government actually wants to be responsible for no deal, because while it might be good for the disaster capitalists, it almost certainly will cause medicine and food shortages. So it's become a little bit of a disciplinary measure, where the Tories threaten everyone with it unless they stop misbehaving. Johnson took this tactic one step further though, by declaring he had asked the Queen to prorogue Parliament from the 10th of September, essentially forcing all MPs out of the decision-making booth altogether. This is one of those weird moments in British law, because unlike you Americans listening, we here in the UK don't actually have a proper codified constitution which can say whether this stuff is explicitly allowed or not. It's more helpful just to think of our governing powers as more based on a general code of norms, which everyone just hopes that politicians will feel some great sense of shame or dishonour about breaking. So... Most people's reaction to this happening was something like, hang on, he can't do that, can he? As it turns out, the answer to this question was, well, sort of, but no. Firstly, the Tories lost 22 MPs in one day who resigned in protest, 23 if you count Johnson's own brother quitting two days after that. This left the Conservatives without anywhere close to a working majority to actually pass any laws. Secondly, Parliament did get suspended on the 10th of September, although not without a bit of drama. Mr Speaker... The Lords who are authorised by Her Majesty's Commission to declare, to declare her royal assent to acts passed by both Houses and to also declare the prorogation of Parliament desire the presence of this Honourable House. Realise? No. No. Oh my God, so this is amazing uh, because <laughs> she's she looks dressed like she's literally part of the Illuminati. Uh, it's a woman with what looks like a sword over her shoulder. But it's not a sword. It's something has, else. It's like a curtain. It's like a golden curtain She has rod. lace coming out of her like leather gloves and a giant golden pendant. And she she looks like she's been kept in a in a in a posh broom closet somewhere. <laughs> and and uh, meanwhile, the Mexican party next door at the Catholic school, which who are celebrating Oktoberfest. It is currently 10.15 a.m. over here, and they are fucking on the Ekkies. They are coming up. They are fucking absolutely peaking, and the rave has just commenced. And so we're trying to do our best over here, but if you can hear uh, music in the background, you know what it is. Uh, and may I just say that the, uh, the the Mexicans know how to party. Yeah, uh, it's a good time. We will, uh, in between recording episodes, we will be going over there to see if we can get some quesadillas they and left tacos the- <laughs> that we've heard being advertised over the loudspeaker for the last... 45 minutes or so. <laughs> so we completely fucked everything up for poor Annie. But but uh, we're trying to react to these videos that she's prepared because my Lord, is this exciting. It's so much cooler than American I know. shit. 
Congress never does anything this epic. Yeah, they never do anything fun. They never, you know, yeah. b- you know, banter at each other. I love how everybody goes, no, no, no boo, boo. Yeah, it's just so, it's so jovial. And, I love uh, it. And, and not so, it doesn't take itself so seriously. Well, except for this woman. Yeah, yeah but that's the sword <laughs> over her shoulder. It's a duality. It's like, it's like, it's like on one hand, there's all yeah. this, this, all this sort of like underhanded, sort of understated snark. And then there's all this weird sort of esoteric ceremony at the same time. Yeah, I love it. Finally, just a day later, Scotland's highest civil court ruled that the government's shutdown, in fact, had been illegal because it was done with the purpose of preventing Parliament doing their job, something which Johnson incredibly unconvincingly denies. Meanwhile, the Sunday Times uncovered that during his time as Mayor of London, Johnson failed to declare a series of potential conflicts of interests over what they described as a close friendship with an American former model. The business of the woman in question received a total of £126,000 in public money, and she accompanied Johnson on three official overseas trade visits. Here, Johnson didn't even unconvincingly deny the accusations, so much as to straightforwardly refuse to answer them in an excruciating interview with Sky News in New York. There are questions from your time as Mayor of London. You and your office stand accused of repeatedly doing taxpayer-funded favours against official advice for a very close friend of yours, Jennifer R. Curie. Is it true? Well, what I can certainly say, Sam, is that uh, we did a huge amount of work when I was Mayor of London, uh, selling our fantastic city around the world, uh, beating the drum for, for London and indeed for the, for the UK. And I'm very proud of what we did. Uh, and I can tell you uh, absolutely that everything was done with complete uh, propriety and in the in the normal way. Look, this might be uncomfortable, but it is important. What was your relationship with Jennifer Archery? I can tell you that everything we did to promote London and uh, the interests of the of London, London business was done completely with in the normal way and with utter propriety. And I'm actually proud now to be doing the same sort of thing again here in uh, New York, promoting our country, promoting our economy. But. Is it the case that you're just not answering questions about that relationship? I mean, is it because you used to be a journalist? Is there a sense that because um, uh, uh, with the laws that you um, that the Supreme Court are looking whether you broke or whether questions around whether or not you used public money properly, is there any sense at all that the norms and rules don't apply to you? No, look, uh, I've given you a a very clear answer about um, my time as, as mayor and what we did to promote London. I'm very proud of that. Wow. That's amazing. I thought he was going to say everything that we've done together was completely in the nude. (laughs) Stop saying I wore my clothes during the act. I did not wear my clothes. I never have. Me and this woman together, only naked. Only naked all the time. I just like that he just keeps on repeating like... This was done in the normal way. <laughs> it's the normal way. Missionary. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she's actually done a, a tell-all. Um, that lady, Jennifer R. Curie, has done a tell-all recently where she said, I've only seen the headline, but it said something like, Boris was my Henry VIII and I was his Anne Boleyn. I do have to admit that there has been some grim schadenfreude in watching the disaster of Boris's premiership unfold, in that he and the Tories as a whole have been playing this game for a very long time. On the one hand, they were selling off large chunks of the country for a quick buck, and on the other, they were pointing to the EU's supposedly massive wastefulness as a place where all the money was going. And the thing is, it worked for them until it didn't. 
Eventually the dam burst, and this has ended up completely destroying some of recent history's most powerful conservative politicians, of which I can only hope Boris will be next. But there has just been something intensely frustrating about watching this happen too, because I basically know that Boris is going to be fine. He probably won't be glorified in any history books unless he writes them himself, but he's not ever going to go hungrier without medicine, unlike a lot of this country if we get our Mad Max Brexit option. Because unlike some of the more marginal right-wing politicians I've talked about on this show in the past, Boris's past isn't full of insane conspiracy theories about the establishment's global Marxist invasion. All he needed was to make pensioners scared of the secret police coming for their bananas. And behind the silly character he puts on, it's really just been the same old boring Tory selfishness and corruption. It's even made me into something of a conspiracy theorist myself. Like, he must have dirt on all these powerful people for them to keep letting him get away with this stuff so brazenly, right? But then maybe that's not a conspiracy at all. Maybe that's just what these institutions like Eton and Oxford University are really for. They're just a protection racket for the powerful, ensuring that no matter how badly you fail, you won't ever really be held to account. But for now we seem stuck in this mess until we leave the EU, or the rising sea levels mercifully wipe out this little island once and for all. Did you lie to the Queen when you advised her to prorogue to suspend Parliament? Absolutely not. And uh, that, and indeed, the, as, as I say, the, the High Court in, in England plainly agrees with us, but the Supreme Court will have to decide. We need a Queen's speech, we need to get on and do all sorts of things. Wow. Amazing. This guy is, is a, a hero to, to anybody who wants to, to have a great clown character. Um, yeah, he really is sort of the classic Lecoq-style clown. <laughs> yeah. uh, I, mean, I mean, all that's next is we're just waiting for him to get depanced or something, you know, in front of the entire you know, parliament. Uh, yeah, I mean, I really like that he's like had to make He's kind of like behaved so ridiculously and fucked things up so badly that the Tories' only like response from this point is just to start getting really anti-Semitic. Like they sort of can't really think of anyone else to blame. Yeah, yep. that's they, they, you know they, they've had the highest office in the land for like nine or ten years now. Do you know like they, you really just can only go conspiracy-minded at that point. Yeah, yeah, that's that's always the uh, a break glass in case of emergency of like demagogues when they yeah. went shit hits the fan. Yeah, exactly. Soros, you know, that's like. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks so much for preparing this for us, Annie. Yeah. It was really yeah, amazing. Uh, yeah, this is fascinating oh, look yeah. into this into this monster. This is, yeah, I mean, this is. I mean, I feel like I understand Brexit a little bit better now, but man, yeah. it is a clusterfuck. And it turns out it Brexit, yeah. uh, the soundtrack to Brexit is a, a giant Mexican uh, Catholic <laughs> church party. So, yeah. hey. I mean, what do you think the end game is? Like, what do you think is going to, do you think like October 30th is going to come and go and it's just going to be like, like it, it just sort of seems oh, like God. everything that's happening now is just kind of for show. It's just kind of this like, you know, big reality shit. It's like the same shit that's going on in America. It's like fucking season four of Brexit. And for us, yeah. it's like season four of like Spygate, Russiagate, all that shit. Well, I think if we do just sort of fall out of the EU without a deal, which is kind of the, the scary option, I think the problem is everyone sort of thinks that's going to be it. But that just actually means we just get more Brexit all the time because then they have to negotiate a deal without one having and exited the EU, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, so it's sort of one of these things where people keep on being like, oh, let's just go on with it. It's been four years, blah, blah, blah. But yeah, the problem is that that's not really how it works. We just have, we still have to 
solve like kind of all of these sort of questions that are coming up anyway. Um, so I guess the worst case scenario is that we leave, everything stops for a while, and then we just get a shitty deal because because you're already out because we have <laughs> because we're already out and we have no yeah, choice and there's yeah. no bargaining chips anymore it's just like well you guys exactly, are already yeah. out like you, you'll take what we give you yeah i mean yeah I, I think probably we will there'll probably be a general election um hopefully which will decide whether which will like hopefully extend the deadline but honestly who knows i, I we didn't even think we were going to have parliament for about two weeks and then we suddenly got it back again. Yeah, it's bizarre. <laughs> the Prime Minister and his cabinet colleagues have been saying he's making progress. The EU's chief negotiator, the Chancellor of Germany, the Taoiseach of Ireland say no proposals have yet been made by the UK. If the Prime Minister thinks he's made progress, Will he publish those proposals that he's put forward to replace the backstop? Prime Minister! As the right honourable gentleman knows uh, very well, uh, you don't negotiate in public and we are making, we are making substantial progress. You've been listening to the QAnon Anonymous podcast. If you like the show, you can support us and get a second weekly episode for just five bucks a month. This will get you access to our archive of premium episodes. We don't run any advertising and we want to keep it that way. So head to patreon.com slash QAnon Anonymous and subscribe. Thanks. Listen it until next week. May the deep dish bless you and keep you. It's not a conspiracy, it's fact. And now, today's auto cue. day, within hours of Trump being inaugurated in January 2016, he went straight into the uh, CIA headquarters office, I don't know if it's in the White House or where it is, and he read the right out to them that there's going to be no more child sex trafficking. That's how bad it is. And he screamed and shouted at them and he said, this is it. And he ordered the investigation from that moment, virtually. So. It's happening. It could be the 19th of October, it could be the 15th of October, it could be this weekend. They're not going to tell you when they're going to start doing it, but they're going to start doing it. And there's thousands and thousands of Marines and, 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 and it is going to a national emergency. And did I, have you heard me talk about this could create a national emergency in our country? And if we have a national emergency in our country, and this is why I'm asking the question about are the British League going to come under some of these 125,000 sealed indictments which are warrants for arrest uh, this enables Boris to then take us out because if in, if in a national emergency because we have the same constitution as America the Prime Minister has unlimited powers and that means he can take us out of the European Union without talking to Parliament because it's a national emergency and this is why I've, why I've been so excited about it. Not just the fact that it's going to take out all these scumbags that have been ruining our country and ruining our lives. And, ruin, and, and there's a takeover of the Western world and our country turned into a Marxist state and the one world, the, the, you know, one world government would, the new world order. 